everybody. This is Chris. And Kathy. We wanted to take a minute to thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate every listener and are grateful for this platform. Please help us share our vision by subscribing to our show through your favorite streaming app. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Petability Podcast. Check out our ever-growing list of affiliates and sponsors. Simply go to the show notes for information and links. And be sure to use our promo code PETPOD22, that's P-E-T-P-O-D-2-2, on checkout to receive your discount from our affiliates. And now, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Alon Landa, CEO of MedcoVet, and I'm a proud sponsor of Petability. We decided to partner with Chris and Kathy because, like them, we want to empower all pet owners who are trying to do the most for their pets. At MedcoVet, we specialize in advanced home laser therapy for pets. Laser therapy is a safe and effective treatment for common conditions like arthritis and wounds, and it relieves pain for most conditions caused by inflammation. With MedcoVet, pet owners can perform this treatment at home while receiving support from experienced clinicians. If you think your pet would benefit from healing at home, visit MedcoVet.com, and one of our clinical experts will work with you to determine if home laser therapy is the right fit for you and your pet. Tell them PetAbility sent you. Welcome to PetAbility. I'm your host, Kathy Simons. And I'm your host, Chris Cranston. Our podcast provides interviews and information to help your pets live their best lives. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Chris. How are you on this fine fall day? It is lovely out. Hey, I hear you have an update. Oh, yes, I do. I have an update for you because people have been asking about Her Royal Highness Penelope the pig, right? Mm -hmm. Because they've seen her on our Instagram. If you haven't seen um, little Penelope who we've been working with, you've got to go to our Instagram page at uh, Petability Podcast and you can see her doing all kinds of tricks. She is doing fantastic. Um, you know, and this is my first experience doing rehabilitation with, um, with a pig. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was a fabulous experience, Chris. The collaboration was wonderful. I love Princess Penelope, or I'm sorry, Her Royal Highness Penelope. And when she saw me, she was really excited to see me. She started pulling out her tricks. She started doing her spins. So mm-hmm. she's doing really well. So thank you for asking everybody who's inquired about my friend Penelope. She's doing fantastic. Right. And if Her Royal Highness gets cumbersome, uh, we can just shorten it to HRH. HRH is what we'll refer to her yeah. as. <laughs> yeah. But she's um, a rad listen, pig. She is. And um, it's just really brought me into this whole like uh, thinking about pigs and their their intelligence level and how smart, you know, Penelope was. It's not that I didn't expect her to be smart, but she was she's really, really a smart little creature. So respect to my friend HRH. Mm-hmm. Well, should we get to it? Because we have a, another oh, fabulous yeah. guest on our yes. show today. Yes. Yes. Do tell us. Do tell. So we invited Ran Corrent Morgan to talk to us today about punishment and its fallout. And that may sound like, you know, gosh, what a downer topic. But I think we're going to be enlightened a lot and realize what we may be doing you know, inadvertently as pet owners that could be defined as punishment and how we might recognize that and correct that. So I'm super, super excited to learn from Ran. Me too. Me too. You know, I, 
I kind of was thinking about my own behavior when training my dog. And I'm wondering if some of the things I'm doing are sort of inadvertently sort of punishing him. And when I say punishment, I don't mean like I'm pinching him or hitting him or squirting him, but maybe some, maybe even these like little noises that I make, like when he's doing something I don't want him to do and I go, ah, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. The, ah. Is that inadvertently? Yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, that doesn't work. I don't know why I'm doing it. Well, but it sounds punishing to me. That is not music to my ears. So right? it's not, you know, and I, I am wondering if I'm inadvertently sort of, yeah, punishing him and, and maybe teaching him to maybe avoid me making that noise rather than actually teaching him what it is I want him to do. So I'm really excited to, to talk with Rand today. Exactly. So Rand began working with dogs professionally in the year 2000. Working with people to help them find success with their dogs is where Rand's interests in dog and human behavior change happily converge. And I've seen this in person because I've had the pleasure of working with two of Rand's dogs from a physical rehabilitation perspective, and it is amazing to see Rand at work. They are a board-certified behavior analyst and licensed applied behavior analyst. They have worked to apply the science of behavior in a range of settings, but their passion has always been supporting individuals and changing behavior so that they and their families can live their most successful lives, whatever that means for them. So in reviewing the website, I thought it rang loud and clear where Ran and their business partner really shine in terms of empathy and compassion for the pet owner and meeting that pet owner where they are with their pet to find success. So welcome, Ran. Welcome, Ran. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Anything I missed? Anything you want to share before we get right into it? No, I was just loving hearing you say all those nice things about us. And and I love that that comes through because we put so much work into conveying what we're hoping and that we really come to this work from a perspective of supporting people from wherever they're coming from. Yes. I thought that definitely, like I said, was obvious when I read the, the, the info on the website. But of course, I knew that from working with you personally as well. So anywho, let's get right into it. What is punishment? Our topic today is punishment. And it's something we don't really hear. It's kind of like a taboo word, right? These days. So, so why are we bringing this up? What is punishment? Yeah, that's a great question. And let me give a little bit of background here. Um, Part of what I have started to notice is sort of a lot of people who are trained in positive reinforcement seem to have the information that punishment is bad, but it also seems like a lot of the programs that positive reinforcement trainers go through don't necessarily talk about exactly what it is, what its outcomes are, and what to look for in a dog who may have experienced it. And so I I just started to notice that even when we're training fully positive reinforcement, right, there can still be gaps in meeting the needs of our clients. Um, So as you said, let's start by defining punishment. The technical definition of punishment, and then I'll break this down after I say all the nerdy words, is um, a stimulus change immediately following a behavior that decreases the future probability of that behavior under similar conditions. Again, that was a lot. Uh, And I will repeat it. I will repeat it just in case people's heads are spinning. And then I will break it down to less nerdy terms. So it's a stimulus change immediately following a behavior 
resulting in the decrease in the future frequency of that behavior under similar conditions. So that stimulus change might be adding something to the environment or removing something from the environment. Um, And I don't know how deep to go into uh, behavior change generally, but that would be the positive or negative. So when we talk about positive reinforcement, that positive means we're adding something to the environment. Uh, Negative would mean we remove something from the environment. So just like there's positive reinforcement, there's also negative reinforcement, and then there's positive punishment and negative punishment. Um, So that stimulus change, adding or removing something, immediately following a behavior. So whatever behavior we're looking at, that consequence has to happen immediately after that behavior. Um, Thinking about, you know, sometimes a dog is at a dog park and it's doing something that the owner doesn't want it to do. Maybe it's digging. So the owner calls it over and the dog comes and then the owner removes the dog from the park. That has not necessarily punished digging, but it likely has punished um, coming when called at the dog park. So the Mm -hmm. behavior is coming when called, approaching the owner, and then the consequence is leash goes on, leave the dog park. And that's such a common example, um, especially with recall, where people call their puppies away from something, the puppy comes, and then the owner does what they think they should do because of that challenging behavior. And that challenging behavior, digging, jumping, biting, whatever the behavior is, uh, doesn't necessarily change what the coming when called does. Hmm. And it's not necessarily that that behavior will change immediately in that moment, but that it will decrease over time under similar conditions in the future. So we would maybe expect to see a decrease in the dog coming when called at the dog park. Maybe the dog will still come when called in the house or out on a hike, but maybe not. It sort of depends on what the dog sees as the relevant environmental conditions. Mm -hmm. Ran, let me ask you this. So when we're talking about positive and negative, we're actually using it sort of as a, an adding and subtracting. We're not necessarily saying something's positive, like you're getting a cookie or negative, like I'm, you know, I squirted you with water. It's exactly. actually taking something in or adding something in. Exactly. So some examples of punishment, and I'm not saying that I would use these, but yeah. some common examples of positive punishment that we hear about might be, like you said, um, spraying a water bottle, adding a shock. So using, if someone's using an e-collar or a shock collar, there are a number of names for it. Um, adding an electric shock would be a positive punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, another way that some people use the electric collars is to add sort of have a constant low level shock or electric stimulation going. And then when the dog does something appropriate, so they have this ongoing shock and then they say, sit, the dog sits, they remove the shock. So that is an example of negative reinforcement. We might increase sitting, but obviously I hope it's clear that that's not a pleasant experience for the dog. So just because it's called, it does sound awful. And it used to be, I'm not active in the obedience world, um, but I have some friends who were many years ago. And one of them told me that one of the things they did involved pinching the dog's ear until the dog Mm. engaged in the appropriate behavior. And then they released the pinch. Mm. Um, So that's negative reinforcement. Negative punishment would be removing something contingent on a challenging behavior. So um, if this is not how I would, uh, I would treat something 
But one example of this is maybe a dog is chewing on a shoe. And so you take the shoe away. Now that could also be management, um, but removing something contingent on a problem behavior. Maybe the dog is eating a bone and growls at another dog walking by. The person might then remove that bone contingent on the growling. And that could be punishment, though I would expect to see an earlier growl or other behaviors emerge in the future that would likely not fix the problem. Yeah. And maybe we can talk about, I mean, maybe we can break it down and talk about, I mean, how dogs learn. I know that there are, like we talked about, there's, there's sort of a consequence for their behaviors. And I know that there's sort of these four quadrants of learning. Maybe we could break that down a little bit, Ran. Yes. So, and I will say, um, as a behavior analyst in the field of behavior analysis, I've never heard anyone mention the four quadrants, but it's something that I hear a lot in the, in the dog training world. So Mm. it is interesting to see where there's overlap and where there's not. Um, but we are talking about the same four things. So those are positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. So reinforcement is when a stimulus change following a behavior results in the increase in the future frequency of that behavior. And then punishment is when that, again, the stimulus change immediately following a behavior results in the decrease in the future frequency of that behavior. And then just like we were saying, the positive and negative refer to, are we adding something to the environment or are we removing something from the environment? Um, let me give you a human example. Would that be helpful? Yeah, yes. anything. Okay. So say we have a little kid, like a five-year-old, okay? And the kid says, can I have a cookie? And the adult says yes and gives them a cookie. That adding a cookie under has, sorry, let me back up. When the child asks for a cookie, they receive a cookie we would expect to see an increase in their asking maybe this particular adult for a cookie in the future. We added a cookie, which will increase that behavior. So that's an example of positive reinforcement. Now, a very appropriate example of negative reinforcement, which is again, removing something to increase a behavior, is if another child comes up and tries to grab the toy that they're playing with and they say, please stop and the other child stops, we would see an increase in there saying, please stop because of the removal of this other child trying to steal the toy. The other child has stopped stealing the toy. And so that would increase that please stop behavior. Now, a more realistic example, I don't know if you've ever hung out with a room full of two-year-old children, is one two-year-old will go up to the right. Um, One two-year-old will go up to the other two-year-old and try to grab the toy. And then which the other two-year-old doesn't want to give up. And then one of them will just clock the second one in the head <laughs> and walk away with the toy. And, and that is developmentally appropriate for two-year-olds, but also a little bit disturbing to see. <laughs> um, but that's another example of negative reinforcement. And to go back to the example of, say, resource guarding, um, when a dog has a bone, if someone approaches and the dog growls and then that someone leaves, that's another example of negative reinforcement. They've engaged in the behavior, which is followed by the removal of approach or discontinuing approach or the removal of that other person or dog. And therefore, in the future, when they have a special bone and someone comes up to them, they're more likely to growl. Does that all make sense? Yeah. So in the future, in the in the example of the toddler there, so the toddler might um, scream out, you know, Joey's trying to take my toy. 
or something like that. And then the next time Joey looks at that child from across the room, they scream out, Joey's trying to take my toy when Joey, in effect, maybe not be trying to take his toy. Yes. Not at two years old. That's very advanced verbal behavior. But yes, <laughs> yes. I'm only around very intelligent yes. children in my family, right. friend circle. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. And especially when there's something valuable, you can see how that might increase. So if if the yelling, you know, so-and-so is trying to take my toy or the growling happened and it was successful, you could start to see that growling happening you know, when someone else glances their way. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, I mean, th- I feel like th- there's a sort of almost a little line here between old school and this newer um, way of, of training that we're, that we're doing that seems a, a lot better, obviously, but um, has it been scientifically sort of proven too, that we, that, that, that punishment has a fallout? It, can we prove that? Y- yes. Yes. Um, I was actually right before this, I was reading over all of the studies that are listed in, um, let me see what this is called. The American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior just updated their position statement on humane dog training. Uh, it is a beautiful read. I, you know, I went through it and I was just like, yes, yes, everything. Yes, this is all wonderful. Um, and at the end, they have citations of it looks like 21 different citations, including wow. some studies. Uh, it looks like almost all of them are studies, a couple of books suggesting that, yes, rewards-based training, reinforcement-based training is absolutely better for everyone involved. Man, let me ask you this, because I had mentioned this in, in our introduction about me making the little noise mm-hmm. <laughs> when he does, you know, and when I do it, it's probably because he's doing something um, that I want him to stop immediately, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And what I'm wondering is, Am, am I actually teaching my dog to just avoid that horrible noise and not actually showing him what I want him to do? So in, in a sense, he's just like, oh, I, I'm, I'm going to avoid her making that noise, but I don't really know what it is that she wants me to do. I haven't taught him what it is I want him to do. So we're avoiding the punishment versus learning what it is I want you to do. Yes. Yes. And I think you have a couple of possibilities here. So one is you're making the noise and nothing is happening is one possibility. Right. And in that case, it's not, it's not punishment. It's not anything. It's, it's just, just an a, annoying noise an <laughs> annoying, and probably not even all that annoying if there's no reaction to it. Right. You're just um, clearing your throat or whatever it is you're doing. So that's one possibility that it's just nothing. Another possibility, if you are seeing a change in behavior is that it is punishing that behavior. Now you would need to see a decrease in the future frequency of the behavior, but that's also not always the simplest thing to describe because we're talking again about the future frequency of the behavior under similar conditions. So if your dog is, I don't, what's an example of something that he might be doing where you would make that noise at him? Oh, he'll run to the gate. He'll run to the gate in the house. So he has, there's a gate at the top of the stairs to go downstairs. And, um, Ran, I'm going to tell this little story that we talked about before we got on the air about mm-hmm. how our dogs are protecting us from invisible zombies that <laughs> yes. roam the neighborhood, right? You have the same problem. Yes. Yes. Especially on Tuesdays, we were saying it's yes. just this like swarm of invisible murder zombies that only the dogs can see. And luckily they are here to protect us and, and keep us safe and, and living. And so, I sh- and so I really should be thanking him, but occasionally 
uh, he'll run to the gate to bark at the murder zombies. Yeah. And then I'll go, ah, you know, I'll make that noise. Um, and sometimes he stops and sometimes he continues because maybe, you know, there's a lot of murder zombies. I don't know. Um, and so I'm wondering if that I'm inadvertently sort of punishing him for for this barking and running at the gate. You know, one thing that comes to mind for me is you're saying that he does this regularly. Is that accurate? It's, the murder zombies come on trash day. Which okay. Is day. Okay. So I would say, and you can probably hear that there are currently some murder zombies in, in our neighborhood. Right I heard, now. yeah. Yes. Um, so if the behavior is not decreasing under similar conditions, you did not punish it. Okay. So when we're looking at these um, consequences, because all of these reinforcement and punishment are all consequences, we are looking at the impact on the future frequency of behavior. So if there is no change, you didn't punish the behavior. Um, I think the sad part of that, in some cases, you know, sometimes people will use shot collars or choke collars. Um, and if that doesn't actually change the behavior, then they're just implementing these uncomfortable sensations and it's not actually changing anyone's life that make no better. sense to the dog it's just an uncomfortable situation right right and I, the other challenge with this is you're also pairing yourself with that uncomfortable situation mm. so if the dog is attending to it if the dog is impacted by it and you are the person implementing this you're potentially just sort of <laughs> devaluing yourself a little bit yeah. you're making yourself a little bit aversive yeah i got you so if you can't, if, if Chris came over to my house and every time she came over to my house, I pinched her, she'd be like, ugh, I'm not going over there anymore. No, absolutely not. Or she might still come to your house, but she might not come within arm's reach. Yeah. Or if you only pinched her when she walked through the door, she might, you might see her like start to run through the door faster, or yeah. you might see her like hip check you as she comes through the door right. or try to come in through the window. <laughs> um, and, and I mentioned that because I think that there are ways that people are using punishment with their dogs in these specific ways. And I would say also probably with the best intentions. And then they see these behaviors coming up that they don't necessarily think much about, like my dog doesn't want to go in this part of the house anymore, or my dog is acting really weird around that person. And those can be one of the side effects of punishment. So you might be like, why is Chris trying to come in my window now? Or why is Chris like arching her body in a weird way every time she comes into my house? We can't always predict how someone will avoid being pinched when you come to their house. <laughs> wow. So, and I'm just thinking of so many examples with my my two dogs where I think that they're, they're being punished because I'm seeing these odd behavior behavior changes. So, oh, not cool. Maybe there are murder zombies in your neighborhood too, Chris. You don't know. Well, maybe. One example I'm thinking of is Baxter in particular tends to go outside and just bark at, at nothing. That's that what you think. It's the zombies, Chris. The zombies. That's okay. definitely the murder yeah, zombies. It, right. <laughs> but but Julep doesn't have the superpower because she doesn't bark. And they're out there at the same time. But then, like, we go to the door and, you know, Baxter, shut up. Get in here. Quiet. Blah, blah, blah. And sometimes he'll persist in barking. So then when we go outside, then he <laughs> runs away. Right. Mm. And yeah. he won't he won't come 
in. And so the barking persists. We're running around in our pajamas in the middle of the night. And, you know, <laughs> so, mm-hmm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Way too much. No, this is, this is a great example because I feel like this is very similar to the dog park example, right? Yep. If he comes when called, he loses access to being outside. And then what does he get instead? And that's a big piece, I think, that is a shift in the mindset. So everything that we do, everything that our dogs do, everything that like every living creature does, we're getting something out of it. We're either accessing something that we want, even if it's something minor, like a sip of water, right? Or we're avoiding something that we don't want. And it's worth noting that there are a lot of different you know, environmental variables in place at the same time. So maybe my dog doesn't want to get yelled at, but more than that, my dog doesn't want the murder zombies to come. And so my dog might continue barking at the murder zombies, um, even though I'm yelling at them. Uh, I will also say not to be morally superior, Chris, but (laughs) I don't yell at my dog because it has no effect. Um, and and I think that's another thing, you know, sometimes that punishment is effective and sometimes something that we're delivering or trying to remove has no effect. And so what we do a lot of is asking, what do we want our dog to do instead? And then how do we teach them to do that thing? So if, and make it worth their time too. So if my dog is outside barking at something, it's usually something pretty valuable. Again, murder zombies. Um, but also there are several dogs on our block who definitely have it out for us. And, you know, if she weren't here to protect us, who knows yeah. what would happen. Um, and so it's very valuable for her to protect us from, from these vicious dogs. You know, there's mm-hmm. like a poor little pug who walks down the street <laughs> who would definitely do us in. Um, but, but, you know, she's a dog, her feelings are valid she might be wrong. Like that pug obviously is not going to come and get us. Um, But she doesn't know that it feels really important for her. And so what I can do in those cases is offer her something else and say, if you come to the house right now, knowing that this is a really challenging situation for her to walk away from, she's going to get, I think right now I have pork chops in the fridge as a vegetarian. I've only recently been learning how to cook meat for my dog. Um, But as a result of this, I have a really nice coming inside when called when I use the pork chops. I I love that you said that her feelings are valid. You know, um, you're right. It's her perspective. It's her feelings. And those feelings are valid. She doesn't know that that pug's not going to murder her. Um, You maybe who knows? And maybe the pug gave her the stink eye one day. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't know. And so her feelings really are valid. And that is her, her world, right? And I find that that can be really helpful to remind myself. And I'm sure like many, many people with dogs out there probably have a similar experience. I am also a human with a dog, but it can be so frustrating and embarrassing when you're walking down the street and like some innocent person, the other day, someone was walking up the sidewalk right towards us. And she obviously very offensively Uh was walking to her trash bin to bring it into her house. But we happened to be standing near the trash bin. And so it looked like this person was coming directly at us and it was someone we didn't know. And my dog got you know, up on her toes, hackles up, very stiff, a little bit fixated. 
and, and then barked. Um, and it was embarrassing. And I had to remind myself that looked really scary to her. She wouldn't be engaging in those behaviors if she didn't feel like she had a reason. And so that's a place where I can notice like, okay, these are things that are maybe scary for her. And I can both step in and I can teach new skills. Like when a scary thing happens, look up at me or when a scary thing happens, move behind me. And I can do all that with positive reinforcement. Rather than trying to punish the barking at strangers, I can say, hey, here's something else that you're going to do instead. And here's something else that I'm going to do instead to support you. Yeah. And I like the, I like the teaching the get behind you. Um, My last dog I had who was blind, I taught him to get behind me. Um, And then I had to tell people that if my dog gets behind me, we're going to respect that. And you're not going to, you're not going to approach him. You're not going to try to pat him. He has made a decision to get behind me or I've told him to get behind me and we're going to respect that. I love that. I, I have really been hearing a lot more from people and thinking a lot more about how do we help dogs like advocate for themselves and identify what will make them feel safe. Right. So if being on this side of the sidewalk with that big truck coming by feels really scary, can we move to the other sidewalk? Can we go down someone's driveway and then keep going? And that can also build for our dogs a trust in us that right. like we're going to move away. They're safe And then they don't need to engage in those, what we might see as challenging behaviors in order to try to keep themselves safe. Do you think that helps sort of maybe establish a role as maybe the leader, but in a positive way? I don't want to say like, I don't don't want to say like I dominate, you know, my dog, but I want my, I kind of want my dog to see me like, I got this. You don't have to do anything. I've got it. It, Yeah. Yeah. I always am a little bit cautious about talking about like being a leader, because I feel like that's really the language that came out of the old school kind of training. And I'm not sure that it is helpful. Um, What would you replace more like like a partnership or I would almost even say more like a parent, Um, you know, like our dogs get smarter, but only (laughs) to a degree. I'm thinking my dog's almost three. She's almost done being a teenager. Um, But it's not like she's going to be able to grow up and take care of herself, you know, in in this human world that she lives in. And so we're sort of always in that role of giving some level of freedom, but also setting some boundaries and safety. And and so much like a parent would. Yeah, much. much Exactly. Exactly. I want to go back to some of the examples that you were using, Rand, and just clarify because I think I've even been guilty of this. Dog barks, they come inside, I give them a chew toy because I'm providing an alternate behavior mm-hmm. that is desired. I have worried in the past that I'm positively reinforcing the barking because oh, they bark and then they got a reward. Um, okay. So I'm going to get nerdy again. I mean, that's why I'm here. Right. So (laughs) as I said before, every behavior gets something for the, the person, the dog, the animal engaging in that behavior. Um, in behavior analysis, we talk about that in terms of the function of behavior. So every behavior serves a function. There are sort of four main functions that are often talked about in behavior analysis. Um, they are escape, attention, tangible, and 
Oh, sensory. Um, and then I've also been hearing much more about Susan Friedman is um, a behavior analyst and animal behavior person. Uh, and she also talks about control as one of the primary reinforcers, which I think is really interesting. And I haven't seen a lot about that in the behavior analysis literature, but I think it's important to mention. So every behavior serves a function and the organism engages in that behavior to contact that function. When we're talking about the invisible neighborhood zombies, um, a dog might bark at those, which increases space or escapes those zombies. So zombies approach, dog barks, zombies move away. That has reinforced the barking. Um, obviously, other people cannot see these invisible zombies. Yes. <laughs> and so that can, you know, I can't, I don't have a lot of ground to stand on there to say this is definitely the function of behavior. But think about, um, okay, so I'm sure that many of your listeners have dogs and can recognize the varied barks that their dogs engage in. My dog has a specific bark that means something is stuck under a chair, come and get it for me. Uh, and so we'll hear this bark and we come and we take out the ball from under the chair. That bark is occurring for a specific reason. It is access to a tangible. So that would be a tangible. Uh, it's entertaining when I go to look under the couch and the cat is there. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm not coming out. Um, but I could then call my dog away and give her treats she's still not barking for those treats. She won't start barking for those treats, but now she's engaging in a different behavior. There are different contingencies in place. And so often feeding for, to distract, to reorient from a challenging behavior does not necessarily reinforce that behavior because that's not why that behavior happened. This is a complicated idea or a a complex idea. Um, And actually we I'm in the process of finalizing one of our four week courses that we have. And this is something that we're diving a little bit deeper into when we're looking at the function of the behavior and sort of looking at how we respond to the behavior in the moment and long-term, how do we consider the function? So I would say, no, you're not you're initially not reinforcing that behavior. Now, over time, you might start to see the dog come run to the door or run up to you and bark, or maybe bark at the sky and then sort of turn and look at you like a, Hey, I did the bark. Are you going to call me in? But I, I don't see that very often. I Mm. tend to see a behavior change rather than a, like I barked for this thing. Well, and I thought your answer, Ann, was going to be more about the, um, for us humans recognizing the the timeliness of the reinforcer. So mm. in my example, dog is outside barking, dog comes in, gets treat. So the reinforcement is actually for coming in and being quiet inside. Yes. Also that also very true. Yeah. So, so yeah, to the dog, because they break things down. So moment to moment, you know, they're getting, that reward for the the desired behavior versus putting it together like, oh, I barked and therefore, you know. Yes. Like yes. two minutes later, I get a treat. Yeah. How how do we recognize in ourselves when we're inadvertently punishing um, some behavior in our dog? And how how would you suggest that maybe we correct that that methodology? I do a lot of asking, what am I trying to do in this moment? 
if the answer is I'm trying to get my dog to stop doing X, then you are trying to punish the behavior because punishment is again, any consequence that decreases the future frequency of that behavior. So in those moments, how can you flip that around to be, what do I want my dog to do instead? And then we can say, how do we either teach that behavior or how do we reinforce that behavior? Um, I will, this is not a final, a final product, but I'll give you an example of something I'm working on with my dog. Um, because in addition to the yard zombies, um, she is, and I will say she's wrong about this, but she doesn't know that she has major concerns about people walking on the sidewalk in front of our house. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. they might be coming to kill us. They might just be going for a walk. She doesn't know. Yeah. Um, and so she sits in our, like we have this bay window that overlooks the sidewalk and she sits there and she barks at people going by. Not every person, it's not super consistent, but it's pretty intense when it does happen. And it's something that I, well, that, that people in my household would like to happen less. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, how can I decrease her barking? What is maybe an alternative behavior here? It is sitting and watching people go by quietly, just watching people go by. She has such a strong history of barking at people sitting in the window seat that I have not had good luck with reinforcing sitting quietly when people go by. She just has such a history there. And so now when I hear that initial bark, I'm calling her over to our front door, which looks out to the same area. And we sit in the front door and we practice looking quietly. And because it's that slight change in the environment, this has been going really, really well. So we might have a behavior that is challenging in one set of conditions, right? Earlier, I said with both reinforcement and punishment, it will increase or decrease that behavior under similar conditions. And so one thing that can be helpful is looking at, is there a way to tweak these conditions while teaching this new behavior or reinforcing the new behavior? So I'm going to kind of put a bunch of questions in, in one and, and cause I think we've kind of touched on this, but you know, obviously we're, we've discussed that we may inadvertently be, be punishing and we're, you know, certainly not, that's not our intention but let's say, um, you know, our dog goes to daycare yes. or our dog is a rescue and came to us when they were, you know, two years old. Yes. What are some signs that my dog may be experiencing punishment elsewhere or may Ooh. have experienced punishment in the past? You know, what does that look like? And, you know, what are, what are those side effects and, and, you know, what does it do to their emotional lives? Yes. Oh, this is such a good question. And, um, such a timely one. I actually have a client right now. We just did an assessment and I started to notice unrelated to what we were talking about, that he was sort of startling at things. Like I walked through the house and sort of bumped against something that was hanging and it swayed slightly and he just flattened, um, and then recovered and we moved on, but I, I was I left wondering maybe what his experience was. And it turned out he had gone to a daycare and I called the daycare and said, Hey, what was your procedure for quote unquote challenging behaviors? Um, and they outlined their five-step process. And the first step was you spray them with the water bottle. And the second step was you spray them with a hose. 
Um, And I didn't get details on what that looks like, but I think that that is the kind of thing where, you know, we send our dogs to places that have good reviews and that we hope are good for them. And I'm sure that the people in those spaces are doing the best they can with the knowledge that they have, but they don't necessarily have the knowledge to know what, what the potential outcomes of things like that are. Um, So all of that to say a very relevant question. Mm -hmm. And let me see if I can rattle off the side effects of punishment, and then I can break them down for you. So we would expect to see escape and avoidance, aggressive and emotional reactions, um, behavioral contrast, which is when a behavior um, contacts a consequence under one set of conditions and changes under those set of conditions, it will then change in the opposite direction under other conditions. So maybe we have a dog who is barking at squirrels in one set of conditions and gets sprayed or, you know, in one house gets sprayed with a water bottle for barking at squirrels, we might see an increase in their barking at squirrels when out on a walk. So it might decrease Mm. in the home, but then it will increase in another environment. Hmm. Um, We also see, and this is a side effect that is not directly about the, the individual being punished, but negative reinforcement of the punisher. Um, And Kathy, this goes back to what you were saying about that sound that you make. So if your dog is at the gate barking and you say, "Eh -eh," and the dog stops, even if it's just for a second, your behavior was you made the sound and then the aversive conditions for you were removed immediately following you making that sound. And so it's been reinforced for you to make those sounds under similar conditions in the future. Mm -hmm. that's the negative reinforcement for the punisher. And so when we human people implement punishment, whether it's with our dogs or whether it's with our kids, stop doing that right now, or the staff that we supervise, um, if the behavior decreases, that's reinforcing for us, which can increase our use of punishment. Um, Another one, another side effect that's on the, the official list is undesirable modeling of behaviors. Now, I have seen this in children. So I worked with some of my clients when I was in my master's program. I worked in a daycare with one of my students and uh, they were, it was an integrated classroom with typically developing four-year-olds mostly. And I remember one of them turning to another one and saying, you should be ashamed of yourself. And that is absolutely something that someone said to that child. That was a behavior that was modeled for that child. And so that child was repeating what they had heard. Now, I don't know that that happens exactly with dogs. I don't know that they're going to turn around and engage in any of the punishing behaviors that people might engage in. Um, But I think it's worth talking about, too, because other people see us engaging in those behaviors, whether those are colleagues or kids or um, supervisees, you know, who say, oh, my boss does this or or clients. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who pay attention to what we do and might then say, oh, I've seen that done. This person did it. I'm going to do it now, too. Oh, I can think of an example, um, several, actually, but. You know, let, let's say, you know, I'm I'm visiting with a bunch of people and my dog barks and, you know, and then I, I put my hand over his muzzle mm-hmm. and they think, oh, well, 
Chris works with dogs. She must know what she's doing. And then they might go home and, and grab their dog's muzzle if they bark when they don't want them to. Mm-hmm. Right. So that kind of modeling, is that what you're talking about? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Or even worse, I'm thinking like they go to someone else's house and do it to their dog. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that would, would be, be bad. That would be rude. Yeah. Yeah. Rude. But to think like, oh, this is an appropriate yeah. response. This is the thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. It makes and and think- then in terms of like emotion, and, and I would assume, I mean, you talked about like avoidance, but wouldn't that dog, uh, I guess, l- maybe lose confidence or or can they actually become more aggressive over time? Can it really change their their psychological makeup? You know, I feel like going into the psychological makeup is a little outside of what I know about. So I can talk about behavior. Mm-hmm. And what I will say is, is yes, um, you know, we don't necessarily know what stimuli are relevant for a dog when that dog is contacting punishment. So one example might be um reactivity, dogs and reactivity. And let's talk about, say, a prong collar. Um, So a prong collar is one of those collars that has like links that link together and little spikes that go into the dog's neck. They're generally metal. Um, So you might have a dog who you're walking on a prong collar for whatever reason, someone told you it was a good idea. Maybe a trainer said, this is great. Maybe, maybe you've seen them used for your whole life. And so this is just what you do with dogs, right? There's so many reasons. Um, And you have this puppy, you know, or a a nice young dog. And that dog sees another dog and is like, oh, best friend and pulls towards that other dog. And the prong tightens on the neck and it's uncomfortable. So maybe the dog stops pulling or maybe the person and the dog just walk by. The dogs don't even meet. Later, the dog sees another dog and it's like, oh, best friend and tries to run up to that other dog and feels this discomfort again. Over time, that dog is going to start to learn that a dog approaching means that they are about to experience discomfort. They are not learning a dog approaches. So I pull and I experience discomfort. They're just starting to pair that dog and discomfort. And over time, we might see that dog starting to bark or lunge to make space Mm -hmm. between them and the other dog. And the more they're barking and lunging, the more that collar is digging into the neck. And Mm -hmm. so it's just this cycle of discomfort. And so we might see, to go back to your question, this aggression increase based on, on this aversive experience. Um, and I don't know, I don't know how much to talk about emotions here. Like in what I'm envisioning, I'm, I'm picturing a dog that's like up on its toes and its hackles are up and its tail is stiff. It's not a relaxed and happy dog. Um, but I think that different people might look at that and sort of assign different emotions to mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I also have been hearing more and more people talking, and this is mostly conversation that I'm seeing on social media, but saying, you know, I use my shot collar, my e-collar um, to take my dog on off-leash hikes. And every time I pull the, the e-collar out, I'm just going to call it a shot collar because 
I came from the vet world and the e-collar is the Elizabethan (laughs) collar um, that keeps dogs from chewing on their sutures. So they say, I pull out this shot collar and my dog gets so excited. It can't possibly be hurting them if every time they see it, they get so excited. But this goes back to that consequence thing. If you pull out the collar, put it on the dog, and the next thing you're doing is leaving the house and going to somewhere that they like, of course, they're excited to see that. Mm -hmm. Now, when do they get the actual electric sensation? When do they get shocked? It might be in the presence of other dogs. I mean, I I think people sort of decide what they're shocking for. I don't know what what Mm -hmm. the answer is, but of course, they're excited. Wearing the collar means they get to go for a walk in the woods. They don't necessarily make the connection between that is the thing that shocks me. Mm-hmm. So what are they making that connection about? Is it, what were they looking at at that moment that they got shocked? Was it a person on a bike? And now they're going to engage in behaviors in the future to make people on bikes go away. Was it a tree? Was it the person? I, you know, it could be anything. And we just don't have control over what is the dog attending to in the moment that they're contacting this aversive stimulus? Uh, so Rand, how how can we as owners mitigate the fallout of punishment? Yes, I love this question. And and this is um, one of the other things I do is I teach graduate students in their master's degrees. And this is a huge piece of what we talk about. So there is also sort of a list for this as well. Um, but some of the biggest things are to make sure that we're providing a an opportunity to engage in the desired behavior with a dense schedule of reinforcement. And so what that might mean for pet owners with their dogs is how do we make getting the answer right really, really easy? And so maybe that means if I want my dog to come inside when I call her, but right now, you know, she has a history of losing access to things, or um, maybe it used to be that she would bark and this is just a hypothetical. This is not what I have actually done, but maybe there's a a family out there where if their dog barked in the yard, they would call the dog in and put it in a crate for five minutes. Like it basically got a timeout for barking in the yard. And now over time, we're seeing that the dog's not going to come when called because of this history of punishment. So maybe we start really easy. Maybe we just want the dog to look at us when we call them when they're in the yard. And so if the dog's in the yard barking, or maybe even not barking, we go out with our pork chops or our hot dogs um, and stand close to the dog, call the dog's name and give them something for that. And then over time, gradually increase the distance and have them come up for this super awesome thing. And then let them come inside and go from there. But thinking about a really dense schedule of reinforcement and making it really easy for them to get to the answer right is one of the really big pieces. Mm-hmm. It's a confidence builder, I think, too, for my dog. Like he's like so happy when he's gotten something right. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he <laughs> he's pretty confident overall though, Rand, because you know, he's a pug and <laughs> and he feels, you know, uniquely superior to almost everything. But um, but when I find it is that when he gets something right, um, the confidence in him, you could just you can see it, you can feel it, you know, just even even when I say his name and he looks and makes eye contact with me. Um, and I'm like, yes. He's like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. And doesn't that feel so good? It feels like so in good. your heart for you and your yes. dog. Right. Um, I will say, and this is this is a whole other story. Um, I have been in, in a situation where I did end up using punishment with one of my dogs. 
Um, this was a number of years ago, and we went through a very intense process before landing on implementing a punishment procedure for a specific behavior. We did a functional analysis first to conclusively identify the function of the behavior and change the environment. It's a long story. Um, and it, it was worth it in the situation that we were in, and it was the right decision. And um, despite all of that, it was absolutely heartbreaking. Mm. Um, we saw a lot of those side effects. We saw, you know, when we had to implement this procedure, um, that she would tuck her tail or that she wouldn't want to be in the same room. And to think about, I, th- I think about so many dog owners who have been told that this is what they have to do mm-hmm. to have a good dog and to have these dogs that are living these just sad lives. And that doesn't mean they're sad all the time. Like they still play. There's still many good parts of their day, but there are ways that we really see the effects of punishment. And in so many cases, they're avoidable. Mm -hmm. Um, I have had two situations lately. I was taking a class on, um, on Tromplo, which is an online training course. And then I was also looking at a video from one of my students. And in both of these cases, I saw video of each person implementing a very mild punisher. So one of them even didn't even say, "Eh -eh." she said, oopsies, that was her like, oh, you just didn't quite get it right. If it's sort of, if it's not a like reprimandy tone, it's more okay. Um, But that dog turned and walked away. For several <laughs> moments, it was just like, okay, I'm I'm opting out of this. And then in the other situation, it was a similar thing where it was just what some people refer to as a no reward marker, like a, you got the answer wrong. Um, but the dog just stopped responding for a few minutes. And so they didn't like curl up in a ball. Their tail didn't go between their legs, but they, they removed their head. They oriented away. Both dogs licked their lips. One of them yawned. Um, they just sort of went through a few small stress signals and then they both returned to what they were doing. But what really impressed me, not necessarily in a positive way, but what made an impression on me was how minor this punishment was and how, if you knew anything about body language, you could see the immediate impact of that, that those dogs were like this, I'm not here for this. And to go back to what you were saying right at the beginning, Kathy, like, am I teaching him something else? I think that that is the big gap. We're saying don't do X, but we're not telling them what to do. And so they're just making their best guess. And it might be something better, but it might be something worse either for them or for us. In your example, I was thinking about Julep and and me in agility, and we just do it for fun, but people observing could see how dejected Julep became when she would make a mistake. And, you know, and I mistake in quotes, you know, it's me not giving her the right cues or what have you. And I was trying so hard to not do anything negative because I know better. So, you know, I might've said like, "Uh Oh, just like you said with oopsies Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. Oh, come on, let's do it again. And just, you know, breaking in the middle of the course, turning around and going back. I think she knew, Oh, I messed up. Mm -hmm. Well, And and Chris, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, no, I just, you know, like you said, heartbreak. And I wasn't even realizing, but other people, they're like, oh, you, you know, and then and then if I persisted, she would shut down, you know, completely. And mm. I couldn't even get her out on the course. Mm-hmm. So. I, you just said I knew better. And, you know, it, it's also human behavior change. Like it's all behavior change. And even if we know something logically, it's also a skill set to change. Yep. And I, I think that people who have been working with dogs for many, many years, especially in behavior change, like there were a lot of skills and ideas that were drilled into people years ago that are muscle memory that like when we're presented with a certain stimulus condition, we engage in a certain behavior because of the history of reinforcement for us. And so it really is a matter of changing our own behavior, which can be tricky. And again, so knowing, give yourself a break is what I, thanks, is what I well, mean. <laughs> and again, knowing what to do instead. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, oh, damn it. We screwed up. Stop my fee, you know, mm-hmm. crap. You know, I was like, oh, so I was again thinking, oh, like the change in voice was, you know, just like a signal. Um, you know, I'm very perfectionistic, so I'm sure that that translated through even though I wasn't intending to. So yes, when I said I knew better in, in my head, I did, but I didn't know what else to do or I couldn't change that muscle memory. Yep. And especially in that moment, um, I just had a conversation. So the class I took at Trumpla was control is an illusion with, um, Sarah Owings, it was a couple months ago, and we ended up having a conversation about like mat work. So a lot of people will teach us stay on a mat. And then what do you do if your dog gets up and leaves Um, and or makes another, as you said, quote unquote, mistake. And Sarah's answer was you reinforce that and then you change the conditions. Um, And I love that. Like, how can we reinforce whatever's here? And, and then provide a denser schedule of reinforcement. That is, sorry, that's a nerdy term, but basically more reinforcement. So if we were only giving one cookie a minute, maybe we now say, okay, how can I give a cookie every 10 seconds for the next few practices? Like, how can we make this really easy and really worthwhile for our dog? Um, and I have not done agility in years, but I'm thinking maybe wherever that mistake was, we pay extra well and try that piece yep. again or play for a moment and then go back and start in that minute. But, but you also make a good point that like you maybe need a plan beforehand for what am I going to do if they mess up that will keep them happy. And I think that that's a big piece of what my training has started to focus on is like, how can we make sure that our dogs are really happy engaging in Mm. this training. And then that also makes people happy to see their dogs happy. That's the whole reason we have dogs, right? Planning for contingencies. Yes. But I learned a lot here um, about things that I can do uh, with Mac and he's, he's so eager to learn and so um, happy when he's done something that, you know, just boosts his confidence. And we've talked about this many times on many, many podcasts about why, well, why should I be concerned with our dog, my dog's confidence? Well, we should be. It's 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 a quality of life issue. Yes. We should be concerned with our pet's confidence. Yes, I love that. So, Ran, is there um, one last thing that you want to leave our audience with? A pearl of information, a success story to just kind of sum things up? You got the floor. 
Wow, this is a great question. And I think I even prepared for this question and have completely blanked on what my beautiful answer was. Um, But I, I think that one thing I see in many of the pet families that I talk to is, is a lot of guilt and a lot of concern. I think that people really want to do right by their dog. And, um, and I also want them to do right by their dog. Right. But I also want people to remember that, you know, we're all doing the best we can with what we have. Mm -hmm. And when we learn more, we can do better. Um, but that we can't beat ourselves up for the things that we did five years ago or two years ago or last week if we didn't know better, right? And so we can keep planning and keep looking at what our dogs are telling us. I think that there are more and more resources out there about body language and people are learning more about body language. And they're like, oh, I didn't realize my dog had been so stressed by this thing for the past few years. I feel terrible. Um, and don't feel terrible, but recognize it now and look at what can we change to help your dog be happier in the circumstances that you all live in together. Perfect. To your point, and, and this is what I was trying to say in the intro, you know, I think that as pet owners seek out services, you know, finding that good fit, a trainer or somebody that's helping you to live a better life with your dog should not make you feel badly or guilty or shame you in any way. And, and I think that, that that's what you and Stephanie are really trying to do with the dog behavior Institute is, you know, figuring this out and providing solutions and let's just move forward from here. And, and I think people are afraid oftentimes to even seek out services. They know they need help. They know things aren't working. They know that their dog is not maybe behaving in the, the way that they wish, but they're afraid to take that step because of the potential repercussions. Right. And it can be so embarrassing. Also, when your neighbor is like, you know, well, I've had dogs my whole life and have you tried whatever, you know, random advice, um, you know, it can just be hard and embarrassing to know who's qualified, what to look for. And, and like you said, I think a lot of people don't realize that it should feel good to train your dog. It should feel like, a team that is on your dog's side and is on your side when you're working with a professional. And, and I hope that we're able to provide a whole lot more of that. Thank you, Rand. That was, uh, that was fantastic. I learned so much. Um, As we're wrapping up here, Rand, can you tell people where can they find you? Yes. So the dogbehavioristitute.com is our website. We also have um, a Facebook page and Instagram, also the Dog Behavior Institute. And then um, when I'm feeling a little bit less professional about um, representing our company and I just want to rant or post pictures of my dog or other nerdy behavior things, uh, I'm on Instagram at randtalksdogs. Wonderful. Thank you, Rand. And I know, Rand, that you're local to, to Kathy and me, and you serve the greater Boston and Worcester County areas in person out here mm-hmm. on the East Coast in New England. But you're also serving folks remotely via online classes, as well as, are you doing like Zoom sessions? Is Exactly. Yes. So we currently see clients online for all of our packages. Um, and then we are also in the process of rolling out several four-week courses. So one of those will be entirely on punishment and looking at 
the fallout of these things. So it's not, it's not a how to use punishment by any means, but it's what are we talking about? Where do we see it come up? And how do we make sure we're not using it? Um, as well as, you know, if you really, 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 really think that you need to use it, maybe what are the considerations and the many, many steps that you should take before getting there? Um, and then before that comes out, we have another course that should be rolling out. I We had planned for the summer, but I'm hoping 2021 at this point on, um, it's called Beyond the Quadrant. So talking about those four consequences, but then also what are some of the other very important principles and ideas that we need to take into consideration when we are working in behavior change. It sounds awesome. awesome. We'll, we'll hey, put that in our show notes. Chris, yeah, so and Ram, one Ram. other thing. You had mentioned early on about a uh, a paper that you were reading in, recently, today maybe. Um, can you provide the info on that uh, if people wanted to access that? We can also put that in our show notes. Yeah, so it is the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior Position Statement on Humane Dog Training, so AVSAB, um, and it is a really a beautiful statement, um, again, with lots of citations and books and a good reading list as well. Awesome. Yeah. Cause we, we have, you know, professionals that tune into our podcasts as, as well. And I think that, uh, you know, any information that we can share is, is certainly helpful. So thank you for all of your time today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Petability Podcast. For more information about Kathy's books and living with blind dogs, please go to enableyourpet.com. Thank you. And please tune in next time.